Non-stop shock radio. The station that shocks you. Renegade Talk Radio. This is Robert Brown Guide in our newsroom, and there has been an attempt, as perhaps you know now, on the life of President Kennedy. He was wounded in an automobile driving from Dallas Airport into downtown Dallas, along with Governor Connolly of Texas. They've been taken to Parkland Hospital there, where their condition is as yet unknown. We have not been told their condition at Dallas in the downtown hotel room. A group had been gathered to hear President Kennedy when he was waiting his arrival. Let's switch down there now where Eddie Barker of KRLD is on the air. As you can imagine, there are many stories that are coming in now as to the actual condition of the president. One is that he is dead. This cannot be confirmed. Another is that uh, Governor Connolly is in the operating room. This we have not confirmed. The president was whisked from the scene of the attempted assassination or assassination, depending upon his condition, of course, at this hour, uh, by bus to Parkland Hospital. And uh, the president uh, undoubtedly is in the emergency room at that hospital, which would be on the first floor of uh, Parkland. No... uh, word is yet. We are awaiting something more official. It is, of course, difficult, certainly, uh, to go on scanty reports. Uh, This is Walter Cronkite back at the CBS newsroom in New York. We have just been advised from Dallas that blood transfusions are being given to President Kennedy. Let us recall for you now what has transpired in this. ARLD is reporting they've been told by some of the hospital the president is at only rumors that they've been told that ARLD is saying. Well, that's a repeat of something that you heard reported to you directly a moment ago from KRLD television in Dallas. And that is the rumor that has reached them at the the hotel that uh, the president is dead. Totally unconfirmed, apparently, as yet. However, let's go back to KRLD in Dallas. Operating room, we do not know what his condition is. But the report is that the president is dead. This is not confirmed. This is something that uh, word just came to us a minute ago. The word we have is that President Kennedy is dead. This we do not know for a fact. The word we have is that he is dead. He was shot by an assassin at the intersection of Elm and Houston Streets. Uh, just as he was going into the underpass. The word we have is from a doctor on the staff of Parkland Hospital who says that it is true. He was in tears when he told me just a moment ago. This is still not officially confirmed, but as I say, the source would normally be a good one. That was Eddie Barker at our affiliate KRLD in Dallas, Texas, speaking from the room where President Kennedy had been scheduled to make an address to three Dallas organizations, but an assassin's bullets cut him down on the way to that meeting from the airport. It was just an hour ago that the incident took place. We have just learned, however, ever that Father Huber, one of the two priests called into the room, has administered the last sacrament of the church to President Kennedy. Regarding the probable assassin, the sheriff's officers have taken a young man into custody at the scene, a man 25 years old. We are. Re- we just have a report from our correspondent, Dan, rather in Dallas, that he has confirmed that President Kennedy is dead. 
There is still no official confirmation of this. However, it's a report from our correspondent, Dan Rather, in Dallas, Texas. We're now going into that Dallas uh, luncheon the president had planned to address. Let's go back. Prayers, we understand, are underway. Vice President Lyndon Johnson has not been seen in the corridors of the Parkland Hospital. He was uh, said to perhaps have been slightly wounded in the arm. Mrs. Lyndon Johnson says that the Vice President, though, is fine. Throughout the streets of Dallas, the Dallas police had been augmented by some 400 uh, policemen called in on their day off because there were some fears and concerns in Dallas uh, that... Uh, that there might be demonstrations, at least, that could embarrass the president. Because it was only on October the 24th that our ambassador to the United Nations, Adley Stevenson, uh, was assaulted in Dallas, uh, leaving a dinner meeting there. From Dallas, Texas, the flash, apparently official, President Kennedy died at 1 p.m. Central Standard Time, 2 o'clock Eastern Standard Time some 38 minutes ago. Vice President Lyndon Johnson <clears throat> has left the hospital in uh, Dallas, but we do not know uh, to where he has proceeded. Uh, presumably, he will be taking the oath of office shortly and become uh, the 36th President of the United States. Welcome, Renegade Nation, Renegade Talk in Maui. Uh, today is a very special day. Bill Dean on to talk to you about the Kennedy assassination. My name is Richie, along with Marla. Bill Dean out of New York City. Hi, Bill. How are you? I'm doing just fine. That's great. Anyway, we're going to be getting, Bill's going to be getting into the nuts and bolts of how this came down and tell you exactly the, and, and, and in the book as... <laughs> As smooth criminal. And Bill is a, a dedicated journalist believing in the overall good of uh, searching and revealing for the public's right to know. Bill has 33 years experience as a writer, news assignment editor at ABC and CBS, news director in Denver and Rochester, New York, anchor at KYW in Philadelphia, as well as Miami's ABC TV affiliate. He's a, also a member of the Radio Television News Directors Association, New York Press Club, investigative reporters and editors, Society of Professional Journalists, and and the winner of many awards, including the Edward R. Murrow for best coverage of a major breaking news event, the assassination of Itzhak Rabin. Bill, welcome to the show. And today, uh, how are you? Well, uh, I'm, I'm just thinking about the, the, about the Dan Rather announcement there. That had to be moved because Dan Rather was the first one to announce that the president was dead. And um, CBS had been asked about that. How would he know? And he said, a cop told me. And uh, then uh, another time he said, a minister or a priest told him. And uh, it was like about 30 minutes, um, 30 minutes after Dan Rather had announced that the president was dead, that it was finally announced. Oh. And um, the, uh, the question was, how would he know? And uh, as he says, a cop told him. I don't think the cop was in the emergency room where they were trying to save the president's life. So uh, CBS had been challenged about that, and they said, well, 
it's good to be first, but uh, you certainly could have waited on that one. Mm-hmm. Uh, Dan uh, is a little impetuous at times. So, okay, so getting into, you know, you wrote the book Smooth Criminal. Renegade Nation, you get you can get Smooth Criminal at Amazon.com. We'll have that link on the Renegade. What is the, t- the title, the complete title of the book, Bill? Sure, it's Smooth Criminal, a one-man American crime wave. I'm wh- whipping that off a little bit too fast. Smooth Criminal, a one-man American crime wave. Um, to get the book, you don't have to remember all of that. You just say Smooth Criminal Bill on uh, on Amazon and uh, on Amazon Books, and up it will come a whole page about it. It's on Kindle, and it's on paperback, and also books, uh, hardcovers are available. So this will give you, Renegade Nation, a different viewpoint as to what happened on that uh, very, very sad day in America. Well, apparently yes, this is not a different viewpoint. Bill did years of study and research to break this story, correct, Bill? That's absolutely true, and I was hearing bits and pieces of it. And when I first started, for years, I, I went along with the one-bullet theory. Uh, John, uh, Lee Harvey Oswald was the only assassin, uh, because that's what we were being told, and that's what the government was insisting. And I didn't have any more evidence to criticize that at that time. Uh, when uh, Jack Anderson, a great uh, investigative reporter, uh, came out and said that the mob had done it, and that was 1971, I said, that's crazy. That's crazy. They, the, uh, the United States government would arrest, uh, uh, would arrest them in two seconds. Uh, Anderson would be taken away in handcuffs and all that kind of thing. Or the mob would be. Uh, and uh, it, it turns out to be absolutely true that the mob killed Kennedy. So, Bill... Isn't it true that you actually quit your position at CBS to go after this story? That's absolutely right. Um, to, to write my book, to do an investigative uh, journalism job, it took me two and a half years of original research. I, a lot of people out there say that they are investigative reporters. It sounds good. You even get weather girls saying that they're investigative reporters and so forth, that it's going to rain later on in the day. We're <laughs> talking about uh, a job that, uh, that didn't allow any uh, news conferences, any handouts. It's total original uh, reporting in that book. So, Bill, really getting into this, what do you know about the uh, CIA, FBI, and Ca- Fidel Castro knowing ahead of time the impending assassination and doing nothing about it? Can you explain to the uh, audio, to Renegade Nation sure. what that's all about? Um, that's, uh, that's an easy answer. Uh, right now, there may be five, there might be ten assassins, 50 assassins out there trying to get Obama. Um, the, the, the FBI and the CIA are watching these people. Mm-hmm. And uh, if they broadcast, if they held a news conference and told us all that, it would drive us totally crazy. Uh, the uh, the uh, uh, motorcade uh, was in Miami, and uh, the assassins tried to get them and missed. The motorcade was in Tampa, and the assassins tried to get them. And uh, then it went to Chicago, and that was three weeks before uh, Dallas came. So it, I feel sorry for the people of Dallas because uh, they, they really feel guilty in some way that, uh, that it happened in their place. But the, the mob would have loved to have done it in Chicago because we'll tell you why in a little while. So, so the, they, were, they were planning this out, and, and, and why was it that each city, they, they didn't accomplish their mission? What was the reasoning for that? Was it a different route oh, they took? Or it's, very, it's very, very tough. 
uh, to uh, to come up there with a. For example, in Dallas, it was eight deep on both sides of the street when they were in the downtown area. And somebody asked me recently, uh, why was it? Why did they decide to do it in such a crowded area of Dealey Plaza? That was the that was the the, the least number of people and Dealey Plaza throughout that whole motorcade. Mm-hmm. And it was also at the very end, uh, just before they'd go into the uh, into the tunnel. Uh, it was the end of their drive, and uh, very, very few people were there. Uh, you, can, you can look for it. So that was the ideal place. It would be better if nobody was there for the mob, but uh, they... Uh, uh, they had it set up with Lee Harvey Oswald sitting up there. He was a patsy. He wanted to tell us, I believe, that he was a patsy. He told other people that he was, and he was going to tell on the day after when he was at the police station. He walked out there very, very confident uh, because he was just asked to, hey, you do that and we'll kill him for you. Um, another thing is, why would there be only a crazed kid like uh, like Lee Harvey Oswald. Uh, he, uh, when he was in the Marine Corps in Japan at a U-2 base, he was he shot himself one time. He wasn't even supposed to have a bullet in his in the chamber. And, uh, you, you know, when you're in the military, they tell you when you can put bullets in and when you cannot. And he's walking around with a gun, and he shoots his elbow. Wow. And he, he got... Uh, I got punished for that. And most people don't know about that. So was Lee Harvey Oswald going to be in Chicago and uh, these other cities? Do, do you know? We, Did you ever find that out? We don't know if Lee Harvey Oswald was in Chicago. There are a number of people that say that they saw Lee Harvey Oswald there when they were trying to uh, trying that assassination. The, the mob would have loved to have done it in Chicago because it would send a message because, because the Kennedys got a real gift that we'll talk about uh, out of Chicago thanks to Sam G. And on that note, let's take a break. Renegade Nation, we're going to get into Sam Giancana, one of the, the most famous mobsters in Chicago's history. And Bill's going to get into where Sam Giancana comes in, uh, the father of uh, President Kennedy comes in, and a lot of more in, important information that really you haven't heard about. Uh, we haven't heard about too much until we started to get to know Bill uh, back, uh, back about a year ago. Anyway, we're going to take a break. You're listening to RenegadeTalk.fm in Maui. My name is Richie, along with Marla and Bill Dean, and we shall be right back for more very interesting talk on the eve of the Kennedy assassination. A long, long time ago I can still remember how that music used to make me smile And I knew if I had my chance that I could make those people dance and maybe they'd be happy for a while But February made me shiver With every paper I deliver Bad news on the doorstep I couldn't take one more step I can't remember if I cried when I read about his widowed bride But something touched me deep inside the day The music died So bye-bye, Miss American Pie Drove my 
Chevy to the levee, but the levee was dry. And them good old boys were drinking whiskey and rye, singing, This'll be the day that I die. This'll be the day that I die. Did you Non-stop shock radio. The station that shocks you. Renegade. Talk radio. From the early 60s during the time of Camelot and the Kennedys in the White House, Bill Dean, along with Richie and Marlo on Renegade Talk out of in Maui, talking about the Kennedy assassination today. Bill's an expert, wrote a book called Smooth Criminal, a one-man crime wave. One-man crime wave. Thank you, Marlo. American Bell. crime wave. Okay, so we're going to continue on with the story, and Bill's going to be telling you the story of Renegade Nation, which is a really, really interesting Fascinating. story. Fascinating. Fascinating story. Thank you, Marla. And we're going to be uh, continuing on with Sam Gio Giancano, who is the crime boss in Chicago, and Bill's going to take it up from there. Bill, all yours. Okay. To understand why the assassination happened, you have to go back to the fact that booze booze, liquor, made the Kennedys rich. Uh, FDR looked the other way as Father Joe Kennedy was allowed to fill warehouses with liquor while Prohibition was still on. They knew that it would happen and they wanted to be ready. The moment Prohibition was ended, Joe Kennedy had the liquor that others didn't have, opened up those warehouse doors and made a ton of money. This brought in the Kennedy mob connection that ended with the death of the two brothers many years later. That's where our true story starts. And then one thing led to another. Uh, People have so many different ideas on who killed uh, the president, and they do not look for the the steps and so forth. You will see one step after another, which shows that the mob killed Kennedy. I'm not a conspiracy theorist. I was just looking at the wire stories day after day and looking for one angle after another. I even went along with the Warren Commission's single-shooter Lee Harvey Oswald conclusion. Remember, it was Lyndon Baines Johnson who ordered the commission of a dozen highly honorable and respected men to put the assassination controversy, not to find out what happened, but to put it to rest. For years, the talk shows and newscasts books and so forth were coming out with unprovable new theories and there was White House pressure for the committee, the Warren Commission not to solve the problem do not solve the problem still the nation's never ending curiosity continued. The committee chose the quickest route by going with a lone gunman single shot theory uh, that hit hit Governor Connolly and killed President uh, Kennedy. The Warren Commission made up with all those honorable men, looked at what was handed them, and hardly ever 
said they wanted more. For example, they quashed the connection as fast as they could. Can you believe the killer of Oswald, Jack Ruby, was never looked at by the Warren Commission? Nor was his mob boss, Sam Giancana, and that's in Chicago. A, that's absolutely amazing because a lot of people still do not understand the Jack Ruby connection and where all these connections come from. And I think it's very important, Renegade Nation, that you listen to this and, and listen to the connections. A lot of people out there do not know that Joseph Kennedy, which was John Kennedy's father, was a bootlegger. And when you were in bootlegging back in the day, the mob was associated with all that. So there was a mob connection. Most people do not understand or bring that part of it up because I don't know why they don't bring it up. But Bill, what, what would uh, Marla? I, I had absolutely no idea that the the wonderful Kennedys started out as bootleggers. Yeah, they're bootleggers. Well, yeah. you know, uh, you could look at so many of these rich families. Look at the look at the John D. Rockefeller. He had goons over there in Western Pennsylvania, uh, and it was actually uh, a, a woman, um, uh, Tarbell, Ida Tarbell, who became really the first great muckraker. And and she was a woman. Uh, she uncovered all these goon squads going over there and promising that they were going to kill the farmers if they didn't give up their newly found oil well. And after this, now the Rockefellers, we have Rockefeller hospitals, Rockefeller everything. Then they become very nice. So they really, well, the really became very nice. Well, Bill, Bill, really, they were really dirty in a way, but they had this image of clean cut, all American. Uh, rah, rah, they rah. changed their image, well, they, as Bill has explained right. to so, us. So, and now he's yeah. going to explain to Renegade. Nation. So, Bill, let's yeah, get back. We can, to s- we can go on with uh, with Andrew Carnegie and uh, all the people that died in his steel mills in Pittsburgh, and then he, every university campus that's a uh, hundred years old has a Carnegie Hall on it, and we mm-hmm. have a beautiful Carnegie Hall here in New York. And so it goes. They they get their money, and then they uh, um, become clean. All right. So let's get back to Sam Giancana. Where is all this? Where the where? Can you explain to us how all of this? Uh, Concentrates into one okay. point. I was I was saying Sam. G, they didn't even look at Sam Giancana. They didn't look at the mob connection at all. Uh, they just wanted to clean the whole thing up. If they if they opened that up, they'd be afraid because they'd have to they'd have to have trials on people that uh, were involved in killing. And we'd still have that going on. And that's why Lyndon Johnson just said the best thing to do is to shut this down as fast as we can. Say it's one assassin. And, and one bullet that did all these tricks. Um, those behind the scene, behind the committee, rigged the, the Warren Commission, rigged the committee's conclusion, but by what not the committee was allowed to see, by what not the committee was allowed to see. Okay, then I, I, to spur new questions, the House Committee on Assassinations, in doubt of what the Warren Commission had said, understanding the Warren Commission had failed to still the nation's doubt, came up with a different conclusion, and they found that, hey, there's not one, there's two assassins. Bill, I have a question, and I, I'm speaking for Renegade Nation. Why would the mob when Kennedy killed? The mob wanted Kennedy killed because we'll get to that very, very soon. Okay. Thank you. Okay? Okay. Okay. In fact, we're getting to it. You're okay. right, on, uh, right on top of I'm it. I'm right on top of this. Now, okay. Now, the Kennedy boys couldn't shake the mob connection to the family set up in the 20s by their father. Jack Kennedy running for the Democratic presidential nomination was in trouble in crucial West Virginia primary battling Hubert Humphrey, popular senator from uh, Minnesota. 
Uh, it was thought whomever wins West Virginia will be nominated at the Democratic National Convention. Father Joe made a call. It was going to be close in West Virginia. He called Sam Giancana, mobster boss in Chicago. Hey, you got to help me. And the mafioso kingpin says, sure, sure, Joe. I'll be glad to help you. I'll order the union bosses in West Virginia to get the rank and file the vote for Kennedy and not Humphrey. Well, it worked for Kennedy. Kennedy was nominated by the party. Now in trouble again, as it looked, uh, Richard Nixon might win the closest national election in the history of the United States at that time. Sam does another favor for the Kennedys, holding the Chicago vote until 9 o'clock in the morning. You know, we knew that Romney had lost like 1130 here in in the East, Mm -hmm. uh, and that's typical. Here it is, nine hours beyond that, unheard of as we usually uh, know uh, about nine hours before nine o'clock in the morning. Johnson holding the Texas vote as well, and I'm not sure what he was going to do if Chicago didn't come through for Kennedy, but he was holding it until about nine o'clock in the morning, And uh, but it wasn't necessary. At this time, paper ballots, and they've been talking about this forever, paper ballots were still the thing in Chicago and were driven to counting places, room for plenty of jiggering, and some of those trucks from the Republican district just never seemed to get to the counting place. By 9 o'clock, the counting had ended, and Kennedy was declared the winner over Nixon. They needed one state. They needed they needed Chicago. They needed Illinois, and they got it. Seems that uh, Johnson was ready to do something in Texas, but that wasn't necessary. Always willing to do favors that would be paid back. Sam Giancana provided women for the Kennedy brothers, including Marilyn Monroe, and his own girlfriend, uh, ex-girlfriend, Judith Campbell Exter. Uh, Things were fine until Judith blurted out some bedroom talk, and Kennedy knew that she was informing Giancana about international relations with the United States, and out the mobsters went. Out went the Rat Pack. Out went Frank Sinatra, barred from the White House. Mother Rose Kennedy ordered the boys to stay away from Maryland, that she was a loose cannon, that she might go to the press. And they obeyed their mother, and Maryland's frantic calls to Jack were refused. So I heard that she tried calling one day for over a hundred times, and Kennedy wouldn't pick up the phone. And she had this idea that uh, Kennedy, I don't know if it was bedroom talk or not, but she definitely had the idea that Jack was going to divorce uh, Jackie and um, uh, as soon as he no longer was president in eight years. Uh, She seemed to be ready to tell the whole story, Marilyn did, including that Jack had told her that they'd be married at the end of eight years. Uh, The mob killed her for Bobby and for Jack because she was about to talk. A Los Angeles County assistant district attorney told me personally after five hours, Marilyn's little house was wiped clean of fingerprints, including all of Marilyn's. You think that the, this was a, uh, a barbiturate death? Uh, did Kennedy order her death? Absolutely not. Uh, you tell the mob that you have a problem with a particular person, and they'll tell you that they'll be glad to take care of it for you. 
and that's what they told. They didn't tell Kennedy what they were going to do to Maryland. Uh, what they do is totally unknown to you and out of your control after you ask them for help. So, um, Bill, there's so many speculations about how she was murdered. You told me the truth. Now, we yep. know there were no bottles found. There were, there were no drugs found in her system, in her stomach. There was no glass of water. Tell Renegade Nation how they killed her. Well, um, they, uh, they put the poison in her anal area and uh, so that there were no signs. And um, uh, they, they did put uh, some pills there uh, before they left. Uh, one of the coroners told me that uh, she, when you, when you are taking, you overdose on pills, uh, just before you die, uh, there, is a, uh, there is a violence in the body and you just move around like crazy. And uh, this coroner said there wasn't any of that. He had seen so many of the people that had committed suicide or had taken too many, uh, too many pills. And he saw that every time. And when he went to this little house of Maryland, that wasn't the case. She looked like she was just peacefully there. Um, so uh, this, uh, you see, uh, I, I often wonder, and everybody seems to wonder about uh, her house lady. And um, at that particular time, there was all kinds of tabloids were going crazy saying that she was a part of the conspiracy. And I had a problem with that. I don't know. I really can't explain. But she was in the big house. It's kind of funny. Marilyn, who wanted uh, as a little girl to be in a real house, she was a transient. She was moving here and moving there. She really wanted to be, to have a base at some time. And yet when she got this big house and there was a little house connected to it, she only felt comfortable in the little house that had no closet space. And that's where she was and that's where she died. Now the, the housekeeper, uh, Murray is her last name. Yeah, Eunice. Uh, was over in the big house. So these guys that came in there, I understand there were about 15 of them that cleaned that house. And this, uh, this uh, assistant district attorney in Los Angeles County told me, he says, he says, by the time they got through five hours, he says, there were no even Maryland fingerprints in that house. Wow. Well, you had told <clears throat> me the other day the reason they found absolutely no drugs in her system is because they oh, they cleansed no, they her. Wa they washed her out. They yeah. washed her out after they killed so her. So how long do you think it took to get rid of Marilyn by injecting her with the drugs up her anus and yeah. then and then cleaning yeah, her well, out? Well, it was it was about four hours. Wow. Where was uh, that? The, is that, is the that? coroner the coroner came in and said that death had happened five hours ago. Do you think Kennedy, right. when when Monroe was uh, you know murdered, uh, do you think Kennedy had some kind of feeling that there was something really wrong? He knew. Did he? He knew that they all knew. Some, they all knew. Well, um, well, Bill, from oh, your sure. point of view, did was he oh, like sure. shaking in his pants uh, now? Bobby was very very close to Maryland, and um, uh, the, the I'm trying to think of her girlfriend, her girlfriend, uh, uh, the three of them. Uh, with Bobby, would, uh, they thought it was very funny to go out to the beach, which wasn't far away, and uh, they would dress up like uh, Arabs, you know, all covered up. And they thought that it was really funny because nobody could recognize them, and they had a lot of fun fooling people. Mm, they, wow. they had uh, a, a good time. 
So Marilyn was having an affair with both Bobby Kennedy and JFK, uh, and that was all in the same time period. So she was going from one to the other. And you was she set up by the mom bill to get the information, or why was why not was Marilyn, she mur- not Marilyn. okay? Well, why uh, was- it was uh, Judith Campbell Exner who was getting the information. Oh, okay. So Judith you know, and she, Marilyn, they they really couldn't trust Marilyn on stuff like that. I mean, she wasn't uh, an educated person as far as what was happening over in Europe and everything else. Right, right. But Exner was able to do that and get the information for Sam. Is Exner still alive? Uh, I don't think so. She wrote a book that anybody can get. Uh, hmm. It was written about 1977. It tells what I'm telling you. Uh, that particular part of okay. the assassination. Okay, when we, we're going to take a break, Renegade Nation. That's a lot to uh, think about what Bill just said. Uh, when we come back, we're going to be talking about the consequences of the CIA's extreme secrecy policy. When we come back, Renegade Nation, you're listening to Renegade Talk in Maui with Richie and Marla and Bill Dean, talking about the Kennedy assassination and how the mob and uh, the CIA and everybody else was involved. Yes, Marla? I would like Bill to explain why exactly the mob killed, are we going to get to this, um, JFK? Oh, well, we'll get to that. We're going to take a break right now. Okay, and we're going to get there. And for those (laughs) those listening, because it used to confuse me when I was younger, John Kennedy was called Jack. So John Kennedy is Jack Kennedy. Okay, all right. We're going to take a break. Renegade Nation, hang in there. We'll be right back. Sugarcoat shit. Listen. Listen Monday through Friday, 9 a.m. to 12 noon Pacific Standard Time. You'll hear things you've never heard before. Renegade Talk Radio. right before we went on air, how innocent we were with this music. Yeah, you know, I guess needless to say, but I was just thinking about this, how the music matches the era. Exactly. And, uh, that kind of song seems so innocent. and But at that time, that was a big hit. It was a monstrous uh, hit back then. It, it, it reflected the time. And the time was Camelot. went out and bought the 45. Speak, I have a question. Speaking of Camelot, I've always wondered this, you know, because this is before my time. 
Why did they call this time with the Kennedy era Camelot? Well, it certainly didn't turn into that, but it was when they got uh, when uh, John Kennedy became president. It was like such a perfect couple, and everything was just fine. The Vietnam War really wasn't going yet. And uh, it was a lovely time. And you had this great music, so everything was innocent. Everything was, everybody was happy. Everybody was yes. like, yeah, it, it was only r- rains at three o'clock on the dot. Right. It, it was a whole different era, and a lot of people were listening to the show, Renegade Nation. It was so different back in the early '60s, and the music uh, actually, um, uh, you know, it gave you this feeling of um, innocence and, and love and 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 Camelot. We have never totally recovered, and it never recovered. The Kennedy assassination. In fact, last night I was talking to Marla about this and, and my life totally changed when that all happened everything just just fell apart it was just absolutely and I, mean, I thought that we'd get back but we never really have completely. we have never came back to that time the, period the era of innocence the era of innocence and that's what it was so um, we're going to continue on me, here with Bill yeah. and, and um, let, me, let me tell you uh, before we get into uh, you know, the consequences of the CIA's extreme secrecy policy um, <laughs> this uh when uh, Frank Sinatra was booted, uh, along with the other ones, booted out of the White House, um, because he was part of uh, giving information to Sam Giancana, too, um, the, uh, Frank wanted to get back in, and he was doing everything. He was so hurt that uh, Kennedy wouldn't, that John wouldn't uh, let him back in the White House or let him to the inside uh, um, the very special people that were admitted in there and the movie stars and all that kind of thing. They were all gone. And uh, here, here is, uh, is Frank trying to get back in. And so he knows that uh, the president's going to Palm Springs, California, and, and he builds a whole wing on his house so that, the, so that Kennedy can come and have a, you know, have a wonderful place to, to come. <laughs> Builds a whole wing for Kennedy to make good, to make up to him. And guess what? To really slap Kennedy, to really slap uh, Frank, he goes over to Bing Crosby's house and stays there and plays <laughs> golf with him. And, I mean, anybody that knows this story has to know that there were two, at that particular time, there were two people, two singers that were big and competing. And it was Bing Crosby and Frank Sinatra. Entirely different uh, people uh, and singers. But uh, those were the two top, and they considered each other competitors. And so, what a slam in the face uh, to Frank Sinatra. Also, one thing I, I should say that on a 60 Minutes interview to add substance to this, I'm not dreaming this whole thing. Uh, one of the one of the Sinatra girls uh, uh, just a few years ago was interviewed by 60 Minutes uh, when 60 Minutes was doing a job that they're not doing very well now. Um, <laughs> 60 Minutes uh, heard um, one of the one of the Sinatra girls. I don't think it was Nancy. The other one, I can't remember her name. I think it was her. She said, "My father was just." the delivery boy, he would get information and he would take it to Sam Giancana. He did not uh, know what the information was or anything like that. That's the way she told it. So, uh, Sam was really, he really felt like he was he was in charge of the United States of America. He knew all the stuff that was coming out of the White House, what Jack Kennedy was about to do or thinking about what he was going to do. He knew it all. Amazing. Until that bedroom talk and bedroom talk by uh, by his ex girlfriend Judith. Pillow talk. Pillow, pillow, pillow talk. Pillow talk did him in. So, 
Oh, you mean they were in bed? I thought they were just sitting in the living room there or something, in the, or in the bedroom. <laughs> okay. Um, what are the consequences of the CIA's extreme secrecy policy? This is this is highlights uh, in my book, um, and is the angle of the whole thing. Uh, smooth criminal, a one-man American crime wave tells the true story of a young man who wanted to be another. Guess what? Frank Sinatra uh, went to a mafioso record production company in Miami. They were glad to put out his record. They'd even be glad to put out my record if I had one. And I was uh, one of uh, the DJs at that time. Uh, wasn't into news yet and playing one of his songs. They asked me to play one of his songs that uh, they brought to the uh, to the uh, station, and we were we were told that it might be a good idea since it was mafioso connected and uh, to keep the bricks in. In order on the building, uh, maybe maybe we ought to play it at least once. Um, the mob will be glad to help you out with your request. Uh, then they own you for life. And then so they you say, hey, we want you to do this favor. We want you to rob this bank. We want you to, and you say, but I don't want to. They say, you have to. We took care of you. Now you take care of us, or else. Mm-hmm. So you actually—it's uh, a matter of life and death. So you actually played one of Smooth Criminal's songs on yes, the air? Yes, I did. I did it at 11 <laughs> o'clock one night. Uh, and Never knowing. And I did it a week later. Never knowing that you would write this book. That's right. So what about the That's CIA? Exactly where's the CIA right. come into all this, Bill? Because <clears throat> that's I'm really... Sorry? Where's the CIA come into all of this? Well, uh, you're, you're going to find out soon. Okay, thank you. Okay. Um, <laughs> we're getting there. Okay. Uh, we have to do this step by step, and that's the difference. People are talking about the driver was the assassin and that kind of nonsense, you know, mm-hmm. uh, in Dallas, the driver. Uh, but there's no evidence, and uh, who, where is his, is his connection? I'm, I'm connecting this whole thing. I don't know how to knit, but I'm, I know how to knit these stories together. You certainly um, do. The mob will be glad to help you out with your request, as I say. Then they own you for life. Dave Riley got his record played on the air and then was told to extort a high Miami political official. The mobster said, hey, we did you a favor. Now you have to do us a favor. And he was caught by the police when the money was exchanged at the Coral Gables uh, uh, bus station. He went to Dade County Jail. And with his two buddies, uh, one of them, oh, my God, he worshipped uh, Smooth Criminal like a god, uh, his two buddies, and uh, there they were, and there was the CIA looking for smart and daring. You wanted to know where CIA was. There they were. They were waiting in jail, waiting for Smooth Criminal. Daring guys to go to Cuba and perform near suicidal, dangerous assignments the feds would rather not do themselves. Thank you. Hey, they graduated from Yale. They know when they're going to live or die. And uh, they would rather have what we call operatives, not agents. They, they don't get to the agent status. The agents tell the operatives what to do. He was caught after several missions, tortured, and after eight days, Castro let the three of them go back to Miami. Unheard of. Never happened before, never happened since. Nobody before or after was ever immediately freed out of Cuba after being a suspect of spying down there. It was either you are caught spying in Cuba or you will be either shot on sight or 
prison for about 15 years. Castro, as I said, is extremely smart. And that was the mistake that uh, uh, Brian Littell, who is head of the CIA down in that area and wrote a book, Castro's Secrets, he says that's one of the things that we didn't think about at the CIA. We thought he was just a banana republic dummy. And boy, because we had that attitude, Castro had people in the CIA. He had them in Switzerland. He had them in Japan. He had them all over the place. And uh, my my smooth criminal was trying to poison him. And the moment that that he was he was some informant told Castro not to go to that area anymore. And uh, smooth criminal was stuck with his pills. Uh, couldn't put him in. Castro wasn't there. Um, nobody before or after was immediately freed there. You usually got your 15 years, and uh, if you were if you were in the uh, Cuban army, you could just shoot you if they knew that you were from the United States and just drag you drag you away. It didn't matter. They were tough as hell. And as uh, Brian Littell says, it's just unbelievable the number of people that we, the CIA, sent down there and got killed. Uh, he knew uh, the CIA had a few hundred Rileys crawling all over, the, that's the, the name that we call my smooth criminal, uh, crawling all over the island. And I think that he wanted to see the CIA dance, <laughs> uh, which was in denial of having any spies in Cuba. The United States was saying, we don't have any spies in Cuba. And so Castro wanted to show that he did, that the United States and the CIA was down there. I think that may be it, because, I mean, as I say, they were all killed or they were all put in prison, and Smooth Criminal talked his way out of Cuba along with the two buddies uh, within eight days. And I've I've written to Castro through the United Nations uh, uh, Cuban uh, consulate here, and they uh, uh, they got to Castro for me. And Castro said, "Oh yeah, I remember. I remember letting him go in eight days." And my second question, "Tell me why?" And he wouldn't tell me. I believe that it was to make the CIA dance. I mean, he, he think of Castro like a professor, a brilliant college professor. He couldn't be like a Hitler getting uh, getting a crowd riled up, but he can get uh, information and he can he can play tricks on you. And he loved to play tricks on on people. I can remember Andrea Mitchell from NBC uh, writing that uh, that Castro was playing a game with her all night. He would he would bring her in and talk to her for about two minutes and said, I got to go. I'm busy. Go back out there and sit and wait for me and I'll call you again. And she said that went on all night, <laughs> all night, every hour or two. She uh, she would go in and get a little tiny bit of information more. Uh, they claimed that Castro was sending them back to the United States because they wanted to defect to become communists. Now, please don't tell me, does that make any sense? You go to Cuba to become a communist and they're going to they're going to send you back because you wanted to be a communist. I mean, this is a communist country. They would welcome you. Uh, now, one lie leads to another. Because immediately, as soon as they bring these three guys back, you've got, you've got the Justice Department saying, hey, there was an International Piracy Act, Air Piracy Act, in that little Cessna that uh, one guy was held at gunpoint, the pilot, and they were ordered at gunpoint to, uh, to force him to fly to Cuba. Of course, that was not the story. They were all buddies. They just landed the plane. And when Castro sent them back to Miami International Airport, 
there was um, somebody to replace the pilot because the pilot was one of their buddies and they knew that the Justice Department was going to have to prosecute them because under extreme secrecy, the CIA couldn't tell the Justice Department, hey, uh, these guys were all working for us. They wouldn't do that. So, so we had a trial going on, and a very energetic young Justice Department uh, attorney who had flunked out of Harvard and then finally got a, a law degree at the University of Miami, and he just didn't give up. Usually, when you got a lawyer tries, you know, and uh, you get uh, you try, you try one appeal, and if you lose, then then that's the end of it. This guy did not end this fight to throw these guys in jail for this uh, alleged International Air Piracy Act that did not happen. He he kept prosecuting. I mean, he kept fighting and fighting and fighting, and finally, it went to the United States Supreme Court. And the CIA extreme secrecy would not whisper in the ear of one of those justices, hey, don't prosecute these guys, they're one of us. They didn't even have to say they're one of us. They should have said it's very important, we can't explain it. And I think that one of those justices would say, fine, we turn it with the, the Supreme Court hands out no bills, you know, probably 90% of the time. 90% of the appeals going to the Supreme Court are canceled and are sent back, it would be totally easy for them to say, no, we're not going to handle it. But they said, uh, we, they ordered the judge down in Miami, you have to have a 12-person jury, this is an International Air Piracy Act, and they did, and this 12-person this uh, jury came back with guilty, guilty as charged. Uh, I, I should say that well, I, I started to say that the pilot disappeared. He disappeared because he was their buddy and he couldn't he couldn't testify. So they found another person to pretend that he was the pilot on the plane. And he said, yes, they held a gunpoint at me. And he did that for three years. Uh, and so making the story real, uh, their buddy, uh, their buddy couldn't uh, testify like that. He wouldn't be believable. So they found another guy who just died recently on Long Island, and he he was a pilot. He knew how to fly. He could talk about what happened on the airplane, and and so there you go. Um, they uh, these guys, you would say, uh, the judge the judge said. 20 years, that's the minimum. I apologize. I have to give you the minimum. I, I, I'm bound by this. And so he got 20 years. These two guys were sentenced, including smooth criminal. And uh, so uh, you thought that it would be over? No. Somebody, and guess who, wrote in there a little clause that the jury didn't know about, said unless excused earlier by the uh, uh, by the um, the judge, uh, I'm sorry, by the warden, by the warden. So they never got to see the warden. Somebody wrote that in and said that they had been excused. So they were out there celebrating on Flagler Street in a few hours, enjoying themselves. <laughs> so they were yeah. never even so, in prison. But just imagine that this is going on. I'm trying to get a hold of that lawyer who was so bombastic and so determined down in, uh, he's still alive and he's in Miami and he's still a lawyer. And he will not come to the phone for me. I, I wanted to say, how do you feel that you put the United States, the United States court system for three hour, uh, three years through this nonsense that didn't happen? 
that didn't happen. See, These guys were were working for the CIA. They flew down there, and then the CIA invented the story that they wanted to become communists. They didn't want to become communists. <laughs> I mean, they, as, as twisted as they were, they were very, very dedicated American citizens. They felt that they were doing, and actually they were doing patriotic things down there. And, and Bobby Kennedy really liked them. Amazing. So, so you are you can you can have a conversation with Fidel Castro, but you can't have a conversation with this attorney. Exactly. The attorney's not going to say yeah, well, anything. Fidel say it. Come to the phone. Right. He could come, but uh, he knows what I'm talking about. Well, we're going to send uh, it to Fidel. It, it's pretty well, funny. Um, he was at Harvard, and he was in the uh, first uh, year of law, Harvard Law School. And, uh, you know, Harvard is a pretty class operation. And I'm sure that when they throw somebody out, they would they would say, you know, we know that you can find a better place or something that will be uh, you'll be able to handle better than here or something. Their letter, and I read it, is unbelievable. It says, you will never become a lawyer, and you <laughs> are... Um, Sounds like me. Are, uh, and uh, you better find another job, and you are not invited back to Harvard University. <laughs> okay, Bill. On so that, I don't know what he did. Okay, Bill. On that note, let's take a break, and when we come back, we can continue this really interesting conversation. And I think I found some Sinatra. So I'm um, talking about Sinatra. Let's see if I have it here. Here we go. I think I got one of the uh, one of the songs off of the, one of these old albums back in the day. Renegade Nation, bringing back the. The memories, and if you don't have, you weren't around, you're getting a good, like me, you're getting a good experience in history. I'm loving it. Bill Dean, here's a little bit of Sinatra, Bill Dean, Richie, Marla, on the assassination of John F. Kennedy. We'll be right back. Listen to this. Listen.
CIA and Castro and all these people go public. So many people knew the truth and nobody came up to the podium and told us the truth. Why? Well, uh, that's pretty easy to answer. The CIA and FBI and Castro sure knew Lee Harvey Oswald. And they knew that if they spoke up and said, yeah, we knew him, uh, the people in the United States would be so irritated. They would, they would demand, you know, well, why didn't you stop him? Why didn't you put him in jail? But the point is, is that they don't know. They're watching all these people, and they don't know how serious it is. And, uh, you know, they're not going to throw every suspect in jail. And there's a ton of them out there all the time. And uh, that's, that's the, the reason. And uh, they didn't, and that's the reason they didn't go public immediately after the assassination. In fact, they really haven't. You haven't heard the FBI. I don't think the FBI has really spoke about it. There have been books about what the FBI knew and so forth. Uh, please understand there are threats all the time. They knew Lee Harvey Oswald. He was working for the CIA. He wasn't a CIA agent. Or they, they got information out of him after he came back from the Soviet Union. They wanted him to go to the Soviet Union so they could get some information, so they could use him. He was given a high-level secrecy security pass while at the U-2 base in Japan. The fact is, the Marines let him study Russian. And now, you know, you just don't get out of the Marines or any other service. Uh, you don't say, I don't want to like it here. I think I'm going to go home. I mean, can you imagine you were in the Navy? Can you imagine going to your officer and uh, saying, I want to go home? I mean, and I, 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 I keep thinking, when I see this, when I see Oswald, uh, that Oswald had done this, I, I, I think of uh, facing my, my sergeant and telling him, I don't like it here. I think I want to go home. But Oswald did that, and they said, okay. We'll let you go. You can leave Japan. You can leave that U-2 base. And they gave him an honorable discharge so he could take care of his ill mother. Well, that was just an excuse, apparently. He didn't like her anyway. And uh, <laughs> so he goes home. He goes home, and he's there for two days and then uh, in New Orleans. And then he leaves for Helsinki, Finland, so he can get into the USSR. He stayed for about a year and a half said, now I want to become an American again. I, I want my citizenship back. And the CIA or whoever okayed that. Uh, try even doing that to friendly Canada. They may, they may hold you off for 20 years when you say, I want my American citizenship back, or you may never get it back. But Lee Harvey Oswald got it back instantly. You want to tell me that's not unusual? He comes That's very right unusual. And gets into fair play for Cuba, the fair play for Cuba committee, where he's handing out leaflets down in New Orleans. This guy really got around. Oh, well, they let him. The CIA wanted to use him. 
So uh, why? why well, CIA, uh, I want to repeat, he was not a CIA agent. Bill, the why the CIA agents use these people? Bill, so in other words, he was just really dumb, and they knew they could they could coerce him Sounds and brainwash pretty him. Smart to me, he well, got to do whatever he wanted. Well, yeah, but apparently he wasn't that smart, Marla. That's what I'm trying to get, bring out that he yeah, wasn't well, that that's smart. That's true. He was no genius. He was no he was genius, and they took advantage of him somehow, somewhere, and got him into this position, right, Bill? So follow what that's right. There. Yeah. Well, he wanted to do it. He was they, the CIA looked at him and said, oh, this guy, he wants to be a communist. He wants to go to Russia. Good. We'll, we'll see what he's doing over there. Uh, the country was startled and angry that Kennedy had been killed. Had the CIA and FBI come out and said, yeah, we knew him. I mean, there would be an immediate short, uh, short circuit. They would uh, go down to the FBI headquarters and pound on the doors. You killed Kennedy, they would say. Mm. So that's why they had to be quiet, very quiet. The mob is tied to the killings and assassinations of JFK, RFK, Marilyn Monroe, Jimmy Hoffa, L.A. boss Johnny Rosselli, even Chicago boss Sam Giancana went that way. Lee Harvey Oswald and Tampa boss uh, Santos Traficante and his buddy over there in New Orleans, Marcelo, they, they, took, they had natural deaths. And they all knew. They, they all knew who killed Kennedy, and they all went oh, bye bye. Sure so, did. so my question Carlos is: Marcelo uh, organized it. Bill, he go. wanted to get Bobby, and uh, when, uh, as I said, when Travacanti says Bobby, yeah, uh, he he wanted to get. I'm sorry, he wanted to get Jack, uh, John, uh, the president, and uh, and uh, Travacanti says, well, you know, he's not doing any problem to us. He's not throwing us in jail. It's Bobby who's throwing us in jail, and so. Then we came out with that Sicilian poetry, you cut off the head, the tail won't wag, meaning Bobby stopped, and he stopped immediately, instantly, that very day of Dallas, Texas, he decided he would stop doing the, the crime investigations and throwing all these mobsters. He had thrown in a, a hundred or more than a hundred, and not only that, Carlos Marcello was about to go. And to humiliate Carlos Marcello when he got back from hearings in Washington and uh, landed at the New Orleans airport, a couple of FBI agents were there. They put him in handcuffs, and they flew him over to the birth is to birthplace over in uh, Guatemala and dumped him there. Can you imagine the humiliation and the lieutenants under him and the mob? They must have been snickering over that, that their boss was uh, humiliated by Bobby. Kennedy. Bill, I have, I have a question for you about the old man, uh, Joe Kennedy, who's, who basically called in earlier in the show. You said that he called in a favor to Sam Giancano. Why is it that the old man did not tell Bobby Kennedy and, and John Kennedy exactly, that he pulled the strings? he had a stroke by that time. Ah. He couldn't talk. So in other words, That's Bobby Kennedy... Question. Bobby Kennedy... He would have. I'll he, bet you two bits he would have said, son, you don't know how how tough the mob is and can be to our family. I don't want you to do the crime investigations hearing anymore. That's what his father would have said because his father knew how the mob operated. Right, because he dealt with them all, most yeah. of his life with the bootlegging. You know, it, it's amazing question. that no, nobody ever brings up, I mean, this all makes sense when you look at the, the, the big picture. you got to follow the trail and of I the money. follow the trail. Who do you think? Um, big your, trail. I'm still looking for any kind of an indication that the driver... Of the, of the limousine is the killer. 
Come on. Well, that, you know, everybody has their theories on this, but when you look at it from, you know, the book's point of view and your point of view, of course, it makes total complete sense because look at us right now in the current conditions we're in. Follow the money with the banksters. Now, my, my question is, um, was this the start of the world dominance of uh, and the banksters that they, they the, the mob was involved and they wanted whoever, who, who was behind all of this other than the mob? Somebody was controlling them. And you think... No, that, no? I don't think so. Okay. I think, uh, I think that Sam Giancana was Sam Giancana was the big boss and people obeyed him. But uh, eventually he was shot. He was uh, cooking sausage in his house in Chicago and uh, they found the body all gunned up down did they ever find out who did they ever find out who killed him no and nobody wants to you see sam was one of these movie star type guys he loved to uh to travel with a uh, well he actually had a girlfriend uh, one of the mcguire sisters uh, and they were really big at that time mm-hmm. phyllis mcguire was uh was going gaga over sam and uh he he wanted to travel in celebrity and uh he was the one maryland for maryland Monroe. He, he fixed Marilyn Monroe up for or Kennedy for Marilyn Monroe and that kind of thing and Bobby Kennedy. And so the problem was that the mob, they know, they know honestly that they cannot operate in the open. They have to operate behind, okay. uh, under, they are the underworld. And once they become public, they're going to be in trouble. And when Sam Giancana overlooked that rule, he got shot. Okay, Renegade Nation, we're going to take a break. When we come back, we're going to ask Bill, where does the single gun theory really fall apart? Because everybody is talking about how many shooters there were and so on and so forth. So Bill's going to get in. We're going to get into that question. Where does the single gun theory fall apart? And we'll be right back. We're going to play a little bit of Sinatra. But he was uh, caught in all of this action back in the early 60s. Renegade Nation, thanks for listening. Pass the show around. Richie and Marla with Bill Dean. I hope you're enjoying the show. Here's a little bit of Frank. Someday When I'm awfully low When the world is cold I will feel a glow Just thinking of you And the Yes, you're lovely With your smile so warm And your cheeks so soft There is nothing for me
There and a lot of the different music from the time period. Hi, Marla. Stop trying to hold my hand. <laughs> let me sing She's trying to kiss me. She's I, getting all romantic over here. I've been trying to. I'm in a romantic mood with all this great music. Anyway. Anyway, that's Frank, uh, Renegade Nation. Thank you for listening. Pass the show around. Really interesting talk radio. And right now, Bill's going to get into where does the single gun theory really fall apart and what really happened. So, uh, Bill, it's all yours again. Okay. Uh, let me let me start off with how ridiculous this thing is, and then we'll try to prove it. Um, I don't believe in the single gun theory. Uh, of course, it's uh, to the advantage of the government to say, hey, you know, we got Leo R.V. Oswald. He was the only guy, and uh, case closed. But the public is a little bit too smart for that, and it hasn't worked in 50 years. Uh, the bullet, the poor bullet, but the bullet was very intelligent. The bullet, the single bullet that hit both, uh, killed President and uh, uh, Governor John Connolly was wounded. Uh, the same bullet did all of that. Um, the, bull, the bullet traversed 15 layers of clothing. This single intelligent bullet went 15 layers of clothing, seven layers of skin, approximately 15 inches of tissue, struck a necktie knot, removed four inches of rib, and shattered a radius bone. The bullet was found supposedly, or at least a bullet was found, on the uh, gurney at uh, Parkland Hospital in Dallas. And they claim that uh, that bullet, totally unmarked, except that the firing pin uh, had hit it in the back, everything else, it was spotless. It had no no uh, creases or anything else. Um, can you tell me if that's possible? Uh, I, I, I don't think that's possible at all, Bill. They, they, it's a magic bullet. It's a, a magic bullet. It's a magic intelligent bullet. It, was an inte- it had computer technology inside that bullet. It was and, then, fr- and then you see, they, they, they make things, they will let you know things that will prove their argument, and they won't tell you, like when John Connolly says, I know the bullet that hit me did not hit the president. He says, I know. He says, I heard the shot in the back, and I know it was like two seconds later that they hit me. And they don't want to tell you that. And it's John Connolly who got hit. John Connolly, yeah. we all listened to the guy that got hit. The governor. And to to what he heard. Right. The governor of the state of Texas in the car is telling them and telling the United States, all the American, the American people, and they still to this day are back to the same 
same thing about the single. It was a single bullet, and and, no, and, and they're you know, right. If it's only one bullet, we don't have to look for anybody else, and we don't have to have prosecution. We don't have to get in trouble with the mob and all of this. And so let's keep telling the lie, and maybe everybody will believe it. They haven't believed Amazing. it yet. Yeah, they still haven't believed it yet. Is Connolly yeah. dead, Bill? Uh, yes, I think so. Yeah, did I'm he? Not sure. Did he Not get? Sure. Okay, um, I, I, I've seen him on tape where he's he's at a committee and he says, "I swear that what hit me did not hit the president." Wow. He, he was that emphatic about it. Wow! And we just don't look at it, you know. Well, but what one lie leads to another. Why the single gun theory really falls apart? We have seven Parkview Hospital doctors, seven of them, saying the back of the president's head. And you know this from being in the military and handling guns. I know they don't like to say guns. You're supposed to say rifles and. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I, I do that just to get back at them a little bit. Um, uh, saying the back of the president's head had a baseball size hole in the back, in the back of his head. And you can see pictures of it. And then you don't see it anymore. That big hole has been moved to the front because there were four gunshots that that short second period. In that short second period, Oswald Pulling, uh, pulling a, um, you know, uh, uh, this is not an automatic rifle, and he supposedly could do it. They, they deny that he could do it. They say he can't. He can't do four. They say that, uh, oh well, that was just a reflection on somebody's um, uh, recording. There were really only three, and they all came from Oswald, and he was able to do this in ten seconds. Um, they have tried to do that, but I don't think Oswald was that kind of a shot. He he was a marksman, and you know that marksman is like getting a C. It's not expert or sharpshooter. Correct. It's uh, you know it sounds very nice, and uh, some some reporters who don't understand that say, and he was a marksman. So he was he was chosen. No, I'm sorry, he wasn't chosen because he he had to actually go back and uh, and take it all over again until he got a little bit better. So, Bill, um, I have a question. So, the single gun theory uh, is, is just a, a rouse. Who else was shooting at the president? Do, do you have any idea? Oh, who I believe uh, I believe that there were two real mafioso hitmen on the on the knoll, uh-huh. um, and uh, they knew how to get away. Uh, if you look up there, it's not that difficult. I mean, there's a big fence up there where you can hide behind. Well, these guys came down there, uh, and they got really close. And if you if you look at the president, as you well know, uh, you know a, a bullet goes in with a little tiny hole and comes out with a great big one. And so it, it comes out the back of the head of the president, which means that somebody had to be shooting from the front. And if they were shooting from the front or the side, it wasn't Lee Harvey Oswald. So they are in total denial about that. They say, oh, no, the, they've moved the hole. They've moved it. And now they have right. an artist's rendition that they'll show you. Because Oswald. Kennedy was shot in the front. Because Oswald uh, was shooting. Oswald so, was shooting. I mean, from- if he's shot, I'm sorry, it, the hole is now in the front. So that means that the bullet came in the back. But it didn't. It blew, uh, it blew his head up. Off, half of his head off in the back in of fact, it. In fact, that's what Jackie was doing when she climbed, climbed out there. of the car. Right. Grabbed that 
grab that bone out of, out of uh, you know, just uh, emotion that she wanted to save her husband. And she grabbed uh, grabbed that bone, which was huge. It was like a, like a baseball size. And she grabbed it and put it like she was going to try to put it back in and make him well. That's where the Secret uh, Service agent jumped on the car and she was grabbing out to grab brain the, matter. the brain matter to try to save his life and the Secret Service agent, they just had him on TV the other night, jumped onto the car to protect her. Yes. Right. So, And you're right. So because, because Oswald was on the side, on, on a side shot where this shot came directly on the front and went right through, like you said, and blew out the back of the head, and that's when she yeah. reached to get, grab the, the part of the brain yeah. matter. Okay. And, and that could have happened from the null, the grassy null. Right. And the, yeah, well, they, uh, they covered all that up, of course. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Anybody, yeah. Uh, so uh, the public, the public has a sense that they're being lied to and that they haven't heard the whole story. Sixty-one percent. I hear it is fifty years later, and sixty-one percent of the people think that there was somebody else. That it wasn't just Lee Harvey Oswald to do this. And you know what? They're right. You cannot tell a lie. It's just like these CIA guys that said, "Oh, they wanted to become communists." And uh, I mean, one lie leads to another. That in that case, it led all the way to the Supreme Court, and they were told a lie. You've got to tell the truth, and uh, that's what I try to do. Talking about Uh, telling the truth, uh, Bill, my next question would be, what about the famous deathbed confession? What about that? Let's get into that part of it. Okay. Um, This is uh, uh, Traficante, and uh, it was his lawyer uh, that told many, many uh, uh, years later, what he had heard from Traficante. Frank Regano is a guy. Uh, in fact, I want to tell I want to tell the the people in the audience if you want to if you want to hear substantiation of what I'm talking about. There's a great frontline uh, uh, show, and you got it on your computer. It's November seventeenth, nineteen ninety two. Go to November 17th, 1992, Frontline, and you'll see an hour-long show that says exactly what I'm saying. Uh, I'm saying a little bit more here, but uh, Frank Regano was his attorney, a lawyer for the Tampa boss, Santos Traficante. According to Regano, and you can't, uh, in this show, if you look at it, you can't help but like Regano. Uh, he says... He says that this is after Traficante died. He is now, before he's about to die in 98, he tells the wire services, he says, Traficante says, we got the wrong Kennedy. We should have gotten Bobby. Well, uh, Traficante felt that way, but Marcello wanted to to do a double, and they did. Uh, And then he said to Regano, I got a call saying, we've got the call from Marcello, I'll bet you, but uh, Regano said, uh, Traficante didn't tell me the name, but uh, this is who it is, and I'm telling you why, because he was so humiliated, uh, uh, Marcello was, uh, the way he was being treated up in Washington. Uh, He says, Traficante says, boss of Tampa, says, I got a call saying, we've got to find somebody to get Kennedy. I said, sure saying, hey, you know, well, you know, Bobby's giving us trouble. And the voice on the phone said, I'll bet you, I'll bet you it was Marcello and the boss on New Orleans. But Traficante wouldn't say, I'm sorry about that. Uh, we are, the what the voice on the phone said, we are not talking about Bobby, we're talking about Jack. And according to Traficante, he said, I said, Jack, what's he doing to us? 
And the voice on the phone gave the Sicilian saying, you cut off the head, meaning the president, the tail won't wag, meaning Bobby. The attorney general immediately stopped the crime investigations, immediately stopped it. Bobby came back to Washington and without any announcement, immediately ended that mammoth crime investigations hearing that had thrown in a hundred mobsters into jail. During the hearings, Marcella was harassed by Bobby, and I told you about that, where the two FBI agents captured him at the New Orleans airport and dumped him back right. in his home mm. uh, uh, country, Guatemala, the place of his birth. The next question, Bill, is about Fidel Castro. And why didn't Fidel Castro retaliate knowing that Kennedy, the president, and the attorney general were out to kill him? Well, as I say, uh, when you think Castro is a dummy, you get in real trouble. Um, Castro is a brilliant, brilliant guy. Right now, he's working on his mammoth uh, memoirs, and it's probably 24 volumes right now. Uh, he, when he delivered a speech, it was very funny. He would he would speak for like five hours on a Sunday afternoon, uh, not with great emotion or anything, but with like a professor, like explaining mm -hmm. how things are and so forth. Uh, Castro is is a is a brilliant uh, guy, and we have to we have to remember how brilliant uh, he is when he knew. He knew that the Bay of Pigs was not uh, the whole United States forces going in there. He knew that we just propped the, the United States, just propped these Cubans up and a few volunteers who happened to be Americans born here. Um, and uh, they went in and they got the hell beat out of them. Um, and I can talk about that in a little while. But <laughs> what happened here is that Castro knew that the United States this time, it wouldn't be a Bay of Pigs fiasco. It would be the United States with B-52s. It would be it would be a whole commando outfit going in there and taking Castro and dumping him someplace in a, in a prison in the United States. He knew that that would happen. And so he sensed it. I mean, you know, if, if we found out, if Castro, you see, uh, Oswald admired Castro so much he went to Mexico City so that he could get a plane to fly over to Havana and see and see uh, uh, his hero. And uh, Castro was too smart to know that. Can you imagine after the assassination if they put a picture up with Castro and Oswald shaking hands? <laughs> he had a good sense that, that uh, there was going to be an assassination. The FBI did, the CIA did too, and he didn't want to have any part of it. And so when little Oswald wants to get over there and meet his hero, he was denied a visa. And uh, Castro wanted to stay away from this thing. And so then the CIA and the FBI were really suspicious of, uh, of uh, Castro and the connection with Lee Harvey Oswald. And so what, what happened? Castro calls, a, calls the CIA and says, we have to meet. I have to talk to you. And so um, uh, there was a very secretive meeting that just came out just recently. We just found this out. Uh, Bob Schieffer revealed this uh, recently, and it's in a book, uh, too, um, uh, called A Cruel and Shocking Act, The Secret History of the Kennedy Assassination by uh, Philip Sheenan. Uh, and in that book, he explains and reveals for the first time that Castro got his a little trip 
uh, off the off the island, and he met with a man by the name of William Coleman. And for three hours, Castro talked to William Coleman, and William Coleman was totally convinced that Castro had nothing to do with the assassination of John Fitzgerald Kennedy. And that happened uh, because Castro called for that meeting. He wanted to explain and prove that he had nothing to do with the, with the Kennedy assassination, although he certainly had a motive because the United States was trying to kill him, and he sure knew it. And uh, but Castro knew knew that the United States forces could knock the hell out of that island exactly. and kill him. So he knew not to fight the United States directly, even though the United States was trying to kill him. Real Isn't that interesting? William Coleman became transportation secretary under the Ford administration. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I remember and that name. Only now, only now did we did we find out uh, that there was a three hour meeting on the offshore. Uh, between William Coleman and Fidel Castro. Bill, in, the, in Castro's memoirs, do you think he's going to bring any of this up? Um, do you think he's actually going to... I gonna... think so. I think he's going to tell everything. Why not? Why, why not? not? Why not tell it all? Because, you think, know... He's... I think he feels... He feels like he is a god. He really does. Mm-hmm. And I guess we all would if uh, 638 times the CIA tried to kill him along with the mobsters. And, <laughs> and he survived. <laughs> he, he, he survived. It's unbelievable. Unbelievable. Uh, wow. uh, when my smooth criminal is trying to kill him uh, and uh, in this uh, restaurant that was a favorite of his, all of a sudden Castro no longer goes there. Doesn't say anything. Doesn't kill the... The uh, my assassin, uh, but uh, he knows, and he knows to stay quiet about these things. He doesn't want to reveal that he knows as much as he does. Uh, and they he let he let the CIA think that he was just a dummy uh, banana republic dictator. So basically, he played him off really good. Oh, did he ever? Hey, did he ever? And anybody, as as um, as Brian Littell in his book Castro's Secret says, we made such a mistake. We got into so much trouble because we thought he was just a dummy. Because wow. he was brilliant. He he and Brian Littell says that he outsmarted us again and again and again, and we didn't know Amazing. it. Amazing. Okay, on that note, we're going to take a break. Renegade Nation, a lot of information for you to digest. And we're going to come back. We're going to be talking about the consequences of the CIA's extreme secrecy policy, which will be very interesting, especially talking about the CIA and Castro and them trying to get rid of Fidel Castro. Bill Dean on Renegade with Richie and Marla. We'll be right back. Hang in there. More interesting talk about the Kennedy assassination coming your way. Sugarcoat shit. Listen. Listen Monday through Friday, 9 a.m. to 12 noon Pacific Standard Time. You'll hear things you've never heard before. Renegade Talk Radio. Welcome back, Renegade Nation. Renegade Talk in Maui. Richie Marla, Bill Dean, talking about the Kennedy assassination, playing some of the old great hits from the uh, time period back then. Oh, how happy. 
definitely not a happy time, but that was a big hit back in that time period. Renegade Nation, Renegade Talk, hope you're enjoying the show. Being informed, educated from an alternative viewpoint, which the major uh, moron ostrich media will not It's not, not alternative, it's the truth. It, well, it's the truth, but they they, they call it alternative. <laughs> okay, never mind. You just broke my great intro. Thank you. Anyway, building on to continue on the conversation, what are the consequences of the uh, CIA's extreme secrecy policy regarding all of this, uh, uh, what we've yeah, talked about you so know, far. I mean, it's it's good for uh, uh, to be in the CIA and be able to keep things secret. Uh, you and I could be CIA agents, and uh, we could take our families to the ball game and all of that. And you wouldn't tell me what you're doing, and I wouldn't tell you. Uh, and that's the way they want it because if you if you get captured or I get captured, we don't we just don't know much of anything, and that that works very very well on the surface, but the consequences here are pretty pretty doggone serious. Uh, Smooth criminal, a one man American crime wave tells that's my book. Uh, I, I say that really quickly. I shouldn't. Smooth criminal, a one man American bro, crime wave yes, there you go. tells the true story of a young man who wanted to be another Frank Sinatra. Uh, went to a mafioso record production company in Miami. RCA Victor wouldn't look at him. Uh, he didn't have any family connections, that kind of family connection. Uh, they were glad to put out his record. And I was one of the DJs at the time playing one of his songs. I played it twice. The mob will, will be glad to help you out with your request. And then they own you. They own you for life. We call the guy in the book, Dave Riley, had to change it because he comes from a a very highly honorable family, and they are just devastated by what he did. He got his record played on the air, then was told to extort a high Miami political official. He was caught by the police when the money was exchanged. He went to Dade County Jail, and with his two buddies, that's where the CIA, looking for a smart daring guy uh, to go to Cuba and perform near suicidal dangerous assignments the feds would rather not do themselves thank you Uh, he was caught after several missions tortured and after eight days Castro let the three of them go back to Miami unheard of nobody before nobody after did this happen it was either you are caught spying here in Cuba you will be either shot or on-site, or prison for about 15 years. Um, there is a, you can find this, and if you want to look uh, a little bit further, you can find this uh, on your computer. If you go to, it's a Miami Herald story written in 1980. It's still there. It says, jury can't decide if he was a patriot or an airplane hijacker. This is the M.O., the modus operandi of what was going on in Miami. This guy, he was, he was unlucky. He, he was in jail for like 16 years, and then they let him out, and uh, then there was a trial in, in uh, Virginia, 
And uh, he, he tells all, he explains, yeah, we had a little air force of uh, these Cessnas and Pipers and so forth. There were about 10 of us, uh, 30, 30 of us, and about 10 of these planes, and they were going back and forth. And when I, when I talked to my smooth criminal, I says, how come they can trust you? Because, uh, you know, you're a crook, I told him. He says, yeah, he says, but I don't know what I'm doing. And I says, what do you mean you don't know what you're doing? He says, well, we're told to go down there and to count the number of generals getting out of this particular building between 2 and 3 in the afternoon. And we got like about 25 or 30 of these little assignments to do. And and I don't know what they are. He says, they put them together back in Miami. And, and he says... Somebody else might be doing the same thing. They might be copying some of the stuff that I'm doing, too, and I don't know it. I don't know that they're there, and we damn well better come back with the same numbers. And if we don't, they'll know that we're just fooling around and on Miami Beach and right back into a regular jail cell we go. Wow. Um, so you, that's how the CIA very cleverly makes everybody very honest, very honest. But hey, one of, my, one of my next questions, <laughs> Bill, one of my next questions is Jack Ruby. What is the Jack Ruby went into that jail, uh, the jailhouse in Dallas as they were uh, taking Lee Oswald out, just walked right in there and shot him. Uh-huh. And I, I saw that on television like a lot of people did. I'm pretty sure they'll be right. showing it tomorrow on TV. Right. But anyway, so how is Jack Ruby and who is Jack Ruby? Can you explain no, Jack we, Ruby? We t- sure. We touched on that. Uh, when you're in the mafioso, uh, you don't have to be Italian. I mean, you're not considered a high-level uh, mafioso, but uh, you have to take that blood promise. Uh, you get the godfather and your blood, and uh, you touch it, and you swear that you will totally be obedient to the godfather that no matter what you're asked to do you will do it to the best of your ability even if it kills you and jack ruby took that oath and in those days things have really changed now in those days when you took that oath you lived up to it and jack ruby after after the dallas shooting uh, was was jailed and died three years later and never never uttered a word. He was wow. under orders to not utter a word about it. He got this got this uh, club in Dallas, this strip club, because Sam Giancana allowed him to have that strip club. Yeah, it was very and, hard. But Bill, wasn't it very hard in those days to have a strip club? Uh, or any type of adult establishment, because uh, the mob was always involved in all of those uh, those businesses. Absolutely, yeah. and uh, uh, it was kind of sleazy in Dallas. Okay, so Lee- it was one of the places where you could have a, uh, a strip joint. Uh-huh. The girls were going from Dallas to uh, New Orleans, and uh-huh. they would go back and forth. So, uh, and uh, Jack Ruby was supplying the cops with a little uh, a little um, entertainment. Noogie. And uh, and so <laughs> Thank you, they, uh, so Jack Ruby goes in uh, on that day, and they all knew Jack, and they knew uh, the goodies they were getting over at the strip club. So when Jack comes back to the uh, to the Dallas police headquarters, and he's standing there like a ton of other people, well, he's okay. He's our buddy. Little did they know that he was under orders of Sam Giancana to shut up this guy called Oswald before he talked and proved that he was just a patsy. And I have the uh, actual recording of that, so we're going to play that. And uh, so we're going to take a break, Renegade Nation. When we come back, we're going to, I think, Bill, what are we gonna, where are we going next? 
Oh well, we can we can go to uh, follow a little a little bit more on the consequences of the CIA's extreme policy because we can get to the Americans that have been hurt on that, and that's in my book. Okay, we'll do that. So we're going to play the Oswald tape of Jack Ruby walking into the police station in Dallas and shooting Lee ha- uh, Lee uh, Harvey Oswald right in the chest and killing him. Here we go. We'll be right back. Hold on. Listen. <laughs>
and uh, and replaced by somebody. I don't know where that guy went. I think I located him in Dallas, Texas, uh, ironically, later on and years later, but uh, he is now dead, the real pilot. But it's uh, it's just fascinating that they were able to pull this off with a, with another pilot part of the program, and he testified, did what the CIA told him, and said, yes, I was the pilot, yes, they held me at gunpoint. Um, it's uh, it's just amazing that the kind of tricks that the CIA has to play and so forth. And uh, then, um, uh, from what that pilot said, um, the uh, the jury said that they are guilty, and the judge gave them a minimum of twenty years. And as I said, there was a clause in there, and they were freed immediately. It was called unless dismissed earlier by the warden. Well, that instant they were guilty, they were dismissed. Uh, they they never saw the inside of a federal jail. I thought that that uh, jail. I thought that that was uh, worth uh, repeating. Uh, then they went right back to spying in Cuba and in other places, and under extreme secrecy, many totally innocent Americans. And this is why I, I felt I had to write this story, Smooth Criminal, a one-man American crime wave. Under uh, extreme secrecy, many totally innocent Americans have been hurt as these are con artists enjoying freedom after surviving their dangerous overseas assignments. Call the police and they won't come to answer because they won't answer you because because the CIA has orders that those that those criminals out there are theirs, are the CIA's, and they're taking care of them, and whatever they do, they'll take care of it. The rationale is, hey, we are protecting 315 million Americans. Leave us alone if a few people have to suffer. Tough luck. And I want to just say... I wish I could give her name. I've had informants here, and I'm afraid that some nut out there will do something. But today, on this very day, one of my principal informants and one of the victims of the of this CIA program has died, and I just feel so sorry because she all of, she was worth uh, at least two and a half million dollars at a motel, and uh, these con artists that were let out of jail to go and do these dangerous assignments and then were freed. Uh, conned her out of so much money and actually got into the bank accounts of her family members and took money that way and got social security numbers and were, were picking up all kinds of payments and so forth and she in her own words uh, it's enough to make me cry when I heard her she says I'm penniless and and uh, she just died today it's kind of uh, wow kind how of, ironic just a coincidence yes kind of an unbelievable coincidence that is unbelievable and, yeah yeah right and I, I'm afraid I wrote I wrote down her name here but uh, to protect the family and others in the family you know and some some nut will try to trace them down and I, I, I apologize. I would just like to honor her, and I can I cannot honor her with her, with her name mm-hmm. at this time. Mm-hmm. But if it wasn't for her, I wouldn't be able. I wouldn't have found out about all of this. She didn't know actually that this con artist had uh, was let out of jail and was allowed to stay out of jail. Her brother came and went to the Miami police and told the Miami police that this guy was uh, was ruining their business and was taking and stealing stuff and everything, and he. 
he had he had prostitution uh, going at that motel, and he uh, he was a major major drug operator when Miami was really the place where the drugs were coming in, and uh, there was there was killings, but I never heard him killing the victims, the innocents. Uh, they they were killing each other. Uh, the 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 um, the the criminals were killing each other and he was involved in a lot of killings but he didn't he would take your money if you were an innocent person but he <laughs> he wouldn't uh, no. uh, he wouldn't kill you but he could bankrupt you and he sure bankrupted this woman i felt so sorry for her she lost her uh, motel which had 80 rooms in it he had taken over the whole top of the place with prostitutes and drug dealers and um uh, he would. He would. Uh, uh, I started to say the brother went to the Miami police and said, "Please help us." And before he got back, before the brother got back to the motel, the cops in Miami, the Miami police, called and alerted, alerted Smooth Criminal. And when he got back, when the brother got back, they beat the hell out of him, and they said, "Don't you ever dare go to the police again, or you'll be dead." And this, the CIA stood by. Because, as I say, they rationalize, hey, we're protecting everybody in the United States. Leave us alone. If something happens to a few people, they have to fall by the wayside. Yeah, a few casualties. Yeah, well, (laughs) in this particular case, it wasn't necessary. All they had to do was to be willing enough to break the extreme secrecy rule and tell the woman that this guy was a clever con artist. He didn't have any millions that he was telling you about. But actually, he did have millions at some time uh, when the mobsters weren't uh, killing him and he was killing the other mobsters. Uh, Remember that RFK suspected the mafia, that we're talking about the brother Robert Kennedy, who later was assassinated, suspected suspected the mafia was behind the president's assassination. And what do we have on that? We have the uh, book written by a number of, uh, of people in his office, in the, in the Bobby Kennedy office, who would say per, uh, repeatedly once in a while, I think the mob did it, but I don't want to get involved. In other words, he felt that they would be coming after him, and uh, they did. Hey, Bill, I have a question for you. If the government came out right today or tomorrow or next week or whatever and says, hey, we did it, what would that change? That's a real good question. What would I that, don't know. What would that change? I, I, mean, you know, I don't know. It's been 50 years now. Yeah. And, you know, yeah. the truth, you know. It's, it, it's very funny, though. I talked when, when Smooth Criminal was telling me in a Cuban restaurant, and we were, it was very quiet. We, the Cubans do not eat on Sunday at 1 o'clock in the afternoon, and that's when we met. And uh, over in the corner was a CIA type watching us. Uh, and uh, it, it, it was just, uh, I, I was just so flabbergasted at what I had heard. I wasn't a, uh, a real reporter to know how to ask questions and so forth. I was just flabbergasted by what I was hearing and what the stuff that he was telling me. And I said, what can I do with this information? I asked him, and he said, he thought for a minute and said, you know, he says, you can't do anything for right now, he says. He says, and then he's thinking, this is so prophetic. He's thinking, and he says, you know, he says, the public needs to hear this, but they can't hear it yet, he says, because it would just ruin so many people. He says, 
why don't you wait and save it for the 50th anniversary of the of the death of John Kennedy? Mm-hmm. Isn't wow. That unbelievable. Unbelievable. Hey, Bill, it yeah. seems like nobody liked Kennedy. The, the Union bosses didn't I, like him. The, the oh, Israeli Zionists yeah, didn't like him. True. The that's military true. industrial complex didn't like him. I mean, nobody liked him. The American people loved him. Yeah, but nobody well, else liked him. So you could say, you know, you could say that there are a lot of suspects. But El Castro is a little suspect, but that doesn't mean he did it. I right. Well, again, we're right back to why. Again, you know, the communists didn't like him. Fidel Castro didn't like him. The Union boss bosses didn't like him, the, the Zionists didn't like him, Hollywood didn't well, like him. I mean, you go on and on and on with all these people. Uh, Sam Giancana, Sam Giancana liked his father. Uh, that's how uh, he won the election, by beating Humphrey in, uh, in West Virginia. It all started uh, I, with I, I bootlegging. I this thing up uh, uh, pretty well. Um, I, I, I would like to suggest again that... Um, uh, front lines, uh, you know, they do this on PBS. Frontline, uh, the assassination piece on November seventeenth, nineteen ninety-two. I just, I just discovered it three weeks ago, mm. and, and will tell you what I've been telling you. So, if you are doubting that the mob had nothing, if you say the mob had nothing to do with the Kennedy assassination, you might change your mind. If you haven't changed your mind, listening to this, I think that you'll change your mind when you hear from. I, hey, Bill, I think anybody listening to this radio show is going to be is going to be changing their minds because they, I think a lot of people are smart enough to figure out that you know Joe Kennedy was the bootlegger, the mob was, and the fact they have a TV show. It's on HBO, Marla, called uh, Boardwalk, Boardwalk, Empire. Boardwalk Empire, where they have Al Capone and all these mobsters all involved in. Boot- Bootlegging and how how um, crooked the whole system was to begin with, but the mob was running all of these distilleries all over the place and importing the booze from Florida, and also they were getting into uh, Cuba and Tampa on that on that TV show called Boardwalk Empire. So when you start adding all this up and putting two plus two equals four, you start to get a, a, a the puzzle comes together. And exactly, a, 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 and, and really See, the puzzle didn't come together for me for a long time. Well, me either. I stayed with a single bullet. I said. It doesn't make sense, but I don't know what does make sense. And then, thanks to Frank Regano, when he told me what the trafficante had said on his deathbed uh, right. years before, he kept it a secret until then. And uh, uh, it, then all the pieces fit together. All the pieces. I, I knew that it was uh, Marcelo down in New Orleans who trafficante would not mention because those two, trafficante and Marcelo, were the assassins. They they had to get rid of of Kennedy. And we're talking about John Kennedy. Not Bobby. Not Kennedy. Bobby. But yep. Then they knew they would have to get rid of the whole damn thing was was because Bobby was running this uh, crime investigations uh, thing up in Capitol Hill and was mm-hmm. throwing mobsters in jail one after the other. There's and, the uh, reason. And Marcello was about to do it, to but, go to jail. Well, hey, Bill. Bill so, what? so... What it comes down to is both of the Kennedys, the brothers, were assassinated because they were exposing the mob when the mob is the one that had put them in their places in Washington. You got it. You got the pieces. Um, uh, I have to, you know, congratulate uh, Jack Anderson, although he's dead. Uh, Muckraker Jack Anderson in 1971 was the first to reveal the mob conspiracy, this one conspiracy, I believe, of JFK, of the JFK assassination. Then he did it again. 
with more and more evidence over the years, uh, over like a 10-year period, with at least three more shows exposing more and more in the 1980s, that the mob killed the Kennedy. Hey, Bill, uh, can you explain to Renegade Nation who Jack Anderson was and who he worked for? Because a lot yeah, of people... he was a muckraker. I said muckraker, and he was... Uh, what does oh, that he was, term he was mean? a great investigative reporter. He'd go to garbage pails outside somebody's house and... Uh, yeah, but who... who okay, get, get who, who did you... ...and stuff like that. I, he I, had an army of people doing stuff like that. Uh, uh, I, I, uh, I, and I, uh, they Bill, weren't paid that well. I, I, I remember Jack Anderson. I don't remember... Uh, he was an investigative reporter. Was it a newspaper or a TV station? It was a newspaper, uh, wasn't it? He was syndicated. Uh, he was on his own, and uh, you pay for him, and then you could put him right. in your newspaper. And Jack uh, Anderson came out with this in 1971. And he had a radio program, too? Okay. So, okay, so uh, to summarize all of this, it's um, all yours right now. Okay, well, Sam Giancana, we're summing up now, please, if you if this is so confusing, you just tuned in or something. Sam Giancana, the mob boss of Chicago, who ran things west of and south in Las Vegas, Los Angeles, Hollywood, and Dallas, among other cities, he was mob-connected to Joe Kennedy, the father of John and Bobby. He had lost his eldest son, Joe, Jr., uh, killed on a secret flight into German-held France at that time in World War II. Uh, his father's dream of having a son who would be president of the United States then fell to John Kennedy II in line. And the vote uh, was up for grabs in the key state of West Virginia to make sure that it would not be popular. Uh, uh, Hubert Humphrey, uh, uh, senator of Minnesota, uh, 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 failed and lost that election, and that meant that he would, uh, he would, uh, Bob, uh, um, John Kennedy would become president. Uh, Sam got a call from Joe asking help. Sam called the union heads in West Virginia, and they told the rank and file how to vote. Wrote the uh, vote the right way, uh, and John uh, Kennedy beat Hubert Humphrey. That set up a convention. JFK won at the Democratic National Convention, politically powerful Senate leader Lyndon Baines Johnson of Texas was a competitor to the Kennedys. He was trying to run at that time, too. But Kennedy knew he could bring the party together if he nominated LBJ for vice president. So he knew that LBJ would say, I don't want it. Thank you. We're bringing the party together for Kennedy. Uh, of course, LBJ would graciously refuse. They knew that that would happen, but he didn't. He flipped out Kennedy when he said, yes, thank you. I'll be your vice president. That drove Bobby crazy. Then in trouble again in the closest national election in history, Father Joe had to call on the expertise of Sam Giancana once again. You be the judge. The Chicago vote was held until 9 a.m. in the morning, at which time the state of Illinois had gone to John Kennedy. Enough for the presidency. Sam Giancana was good to John and Brother Bobby to the point of sending his girlfriend, Judith Campbell Exter, to the president. Sam had lots of Hollywood starlets at his command, and he supplied the boys with a bevy of them, all but Phyllis McGuire of the McGuire Sisters, big-time recording group, 
And that was Sam's one and only. He was paranoid that Phyllis was going out with uh, somebody else. He called on Frank Sinatra's Rat Pack to spy on her, and one innocent guy was eliminated for getting too close to Phyllis. Uh, on 60 Minutes a few years back, one of the Sinatra's two daughters we know of said, and probably others, uh, said that Frank was a delivery boy, just a delivery boy between JFK and Sam Giancana. He just delivered, she says. He didn't do the killings. He just, she defended. One of the most popular supplied women was Marilyn Monroe, with whom both brothers were intimate. Marilyn had some uh, kind of an idea JFK was waiting until after his presidency to get married to her after divorcing wife Jackie. It must have been bedroom talk as it's inconceivable that JFK would want to introduce a sex symbol at a state dinner. Then Judith Exner slipped in her bedroom talk and JFK immediately picked up the that Sam Giancana was getting messages through Judith Exner and out went Judith out went the Rat Pack out went Frank Sinatra out went the whole damn mob that was enough for Mother Rose to see what was going on and to see that there was a problem coming up. She ordered her two sons to stop what she considered foolishness before the public found out about all the philandering that had been going on and would be going on through the members of the press, which was just itching to report it, but uh, felt that in those days, if you're if you're doing something and it doesn't affect your legislation, well, let them go and have some fun. Uh, but it was getting serious at that point, and somebody was about to expose it in a legitimate newspaper. Out went the rat pack and the whole damn thing with all the girls and everything else. Maryland's dream of marrying a president went with it, too. JFK wouldn't pick up the phone when she frantically tried to reconnect. There were rumors that Marilyn was going to go public, even implicating Sam Giancana. Well, that was enough, as well as the two Kennedy brothers. And we are not sure how housekeeper Eunice Murray could have slipped through all the commotion that was going on in that little house where Marilyn felt most comfortable. Murray was in the adjacent larger house that Marilyn had, but she was more comfortable in the little house. And for years, the tabloids tried to prove that Murray was an accomplice to the killing uh, because she didn't do anything there. And I mean, that all that commotion was going on in the little house, I mean, wouldn't wake her up. I don't know. Uh, the job was professionally done with Bobby Kennedy and the Rat Pack member Peter Lawford in contact. That's where that's where Bobby would stay. Uh, Peter Lawford had a house on the beach, um, and uh, Peter Lawford in contact were supervising in absentia. The body was loaded with barbiturates through the anal area. So there were no needle marks at all. When she was dead, the body was flushed out, and the uh, empty pill bottle was placed on the night table. 
a retired Los Angeles County assistant district attorney told me that the uh, uh, the call to the coroner took five hours after Marilyn was dead. And uh, during that period, every fingerprint in that little house was wiped clean. Even Marilyn's were gone. A coroner said there is a violence uh, as uh, if the body uh, in fighting its last attempt to stay alive just before death. He says that well, there were no signs of that. So Marilyn was uh, was killed very, very professionally. He says there was no sign of uh, any any last moment violence or shaking or anything like that. The dead body looked so peaceful. She didn't know what had hit her, but the Kennedys and the mob were free of her threat to go public because she wasn't there anymore. Names you should know, you should know Richard Bissell, and we haven't talked about him, considered the brightest of the best in the CIA, but we all make mistakes, and Bissell sure did, when his design of what turned out to be the Bay of Pigs invasion by the Cuban Revolution uh, uh, people over over in Miami who wanted to fight and fight uh, and take uh, take their island back from Castro. JFK had been blamed for the failed attempt, but it was Bissell, not JFK, who was running the show and didn't tell Kennedy much of his plans. Bissell chose a landing spot that was filled with coral and Cuban liberation troops were being cut up as they gingerly tried to balance themselves with their weapons to get ashore over the coral, uh, giving up the fight before it started. Uh, you know, when you're trying to balance yourself and everything, you're dropping your weapons and everything else even before you get land, on land to fight. Uh, had they invaded 50 miles closer to Havana at a town called Trinidad, they would have been met with 16,000 local anti-Castro residents. It was a hotbed of anti-Castroism. Robert Mayhew, another guy that you have to know, who had mobster connections in Las Vegas and set up the agreement where the mob would cooperate with the United States government in a joint effort to rid Cuba of Castro. The government wanting to rid Cuba of communism and the mob wanting to return to Havana to the gambling center of the hemisphere bigger than anything, bigger than Las Vegas at that time, which it once was the biggest place in the world, I think, I think, uh, of the gambling great center in Havana. There are books written on how unbelievable it was. That was under Batista. Mayhew, a local, uh, a loyal Catholic, was concerned with the morality of dealing with the mob. He knew once you join the mob, they'll always own you, and you better do what they tell you. Uh, uh, he had that prophetic warning, you make the connection, you'll never, never be able to separate the United States government now from the mob. They will own you, he warned. 
But Bobby Kennedy, as Attorney General, was so frustrated in the CIA's failure to kill Castro, uh, demanded that uh, they hook up with a mob. And that's where my book, Smooth Criminal, comes in. They were looking for smart guys, and they found them. Uh, we're almost done here. Carlos Marcelo and Lee Harvey Oswald, boss of New Orleans. Carlos Marcelo sees Lee Harvey Oswald handing out leaflets on a street corner reading fair play for cuba as far as we know he was the chairman with no members there was nobody else a member of the fair play for cuba in new orleans there were some college professors here and there that uh, that said that we were being unfair to uh, to castro but they weren't they weren't following they were not following lee harvey oswald i guarantee you uh, and uh, the Fair Play for Cuba committee, Oswald was really trying to tell the people that we were doing bad to Castro. Uh, knowing the Kennedys have resigned to kill Castro after the Bay of Pigs failure, though so he felt justified that uh, the Kennedy should be killed, of course. The CIA and the FBI knew Oswald well. He was in the Marines at a U-2 base in Japan, had been given secrecy clearance, and when he said he wanted to go to the Soviet Union, your tax dollars paid for his Russian languages, uh, language classes, uh, lessons in Japan. He wasn't very good at uh, learning the language, <laughs> but uh, the fact that he wanted to go into the Soviet Union, he could be an informant whether he wanted to be or not, and he would be hooked up with the CIA. They know how to do that doesn't mean that Oswald was a member of the CIA, but he was used by the CIA. He was always a loose cannon. In childhood, he would go into tantrums, and a child psychologist wrote that he should have special education. His father died before he was born, and little Oswald hated his mother. Nevertheless, Oswald wants to leave the Marines and go home, and this has got to be funny for anybody that was in the military. He wants to go home to his mother who supposedly was ill he went to uh, he was given a, a court martial at one time shooting himself in the elbow when he had bullets in his weapon and he wasn't even supposed to have any bullets at that time uh, to have a loaded weapon at that time uh, he got in trouble for that he was court-martialed for it yet he was given an honorable discharge to go home and take care of his supposed ailing mother Enough of that, and in a couple of days, he was on his way to the Soviet Union. <coughs> Excuse me. Uh, by the way, of Helsinki, Finland. That's the way you got into the Soviet Union. Helsinki. Couldn't go through, through France or Germany or East German. He married Marina, uh, had a baby, and said, Now I want to go back to the United States. We welcomed him with open arms. He made an ideal assassin for the mob. A Kennedy hater, a Castro lover, one who's had plenty of training with a rifle, a Russian communist lover, and an admirer of Fidel Castro, most important, with absolutely no mob connection. That's who you want if you're the mob. You don't want them to connect the mob with the uh, killing, the assassination of a president. Mm. Mobster mm -hmm. Carlos Marcelo is about to go to prison where Attorney General Bobby Kennedy had sent about 100 mobsters so far. And 
the big boss Marcello of New Orleans had been humiliated by Bobby Kennedy, who had dumped him, had the FBI dump him, the mobster, back in his own country, the country where he was born, Guatemala. Bobby Kennedy had to go, but first, JFK, the President of the United States, had to go too. The Sicilian rationale was you cut off the head, Bobby, uh, President, uh, the President, and the tail, Bobby, won't wag. And they've proved right, because the moment JFK was assassinated, Bobby Kennedy stopped the crime investigations hearings and never resumed them in the four and a half years that he survived. He periodically told some staff members, I think the mob did it, but I don't want to get involved. And I suggest that you uh, back up my story or, I mean, you can doubt, that's okay. Uh, back on front lines assassination piece, November 17th, 1992. I just found it, and it just covers exactly what I've been telling you. Uh, one, one producer who was with Regano, that's the uh, Frank Regano, the Traficante's lawyer, uh, for nine months they were preparing this thing, and he says, we didn't catch Regano in one lie. And and when you watch this, you'll probably like Regano's wife, uh, who said said on the show, says, I told Frank not to trust those mobsters, but he wouldn't listen. And then Frank says, I found out the hard way. They they only talk loyalty when it serves their interest. And I got hurt by them because uh, it didn't serve their interest at one particular time. The mob double-crossed by Bobby's hearings, successfully stopped Bobby by first killing his brother John, and then four and a half years later, uh, got Bobby in uh, Los Angeles. In fact, Bobby immediately stopped those crime hearings on the day of the Dallas assassination. Didn't matter, the mob was gonna get him because they got a hundred of his, uh, of theirs. Uh, Had Father Joe been well, as you say, Rich, he would have stopped Bobby. Joe, who made the family's money as a bootlegger in the 20s, would know you don't double-cross the mob no matter once. Once you get a favor, such as fixing the 1960 presidential election, it was so close, only Illinois, the Illinois vote was held up, and that was enough to put Kennedy over the top by 9 o'clock in the morning. The whole country knew Nixon would demand, it was so close, knew Nixon would fight. Nixon, always a fighter, would demand a recount, and surprisingly, he didn't. He may have gotten a call from the mob saying, don't you dare do that. You accept that John Kennedy is president. Surprise, last weekend's Gallup Gallup poll that... uh, 13%, 13%, only 13% believe what we're talking about here, that the mob did it. Wow. Nothing else comes close well, they've been brainwashed. to of the pieces. That's right. They've been brainwashed. In Renegade Nation, they've been yep. brainwashing us right. for a long time on this uh, assassination. Nothing, nothing else comes close to a fit of the pieces the way that we've talked about here, uh, the way this mafioso story goes. Yet 61% don't think, listen to this, they think they haven't heard 
never the full story. 61% of the Americans are still in doubt. They fill it with silly, uh, some of them silly, some uh, explanations like Lyndon Johnson was in Dallas at the at the day of the assassination. He must have done it. You know, where where is the track record of this whole thing? Well, again, Bill, when you get into the track record, they never explain the track record to anybody right. like we just That's did or right. you just and did. You, you silly things right. and they it's all silly on them and everything else. But uh, we're talking about one thing after another where the mob cooperated and the mob then made you pay for it and that kind of thing. That I mean, we're talking real stuff here. And it's not just a guess that the driver, the poor driver, was the assassin. And, and, you know, Come Bill, on. one thing I want to say before um, we go, Bill. Uh, Johnson organized the assassination preparations all on his own. No. Well, RFK and LBJ hated each other. But mm -hmm. there is absolutely no connection to 22 November of LBJ. Silly explanations like the driver of the JFK limo. He did it because the bullet was coming from the front, and there was Lee Harvey Oswald up there, and he couldn't have uh, shot from the front of the, well, uh, uh, JFK limo did it uh, by driving slowly uh, in Dealey Plaza. I don't believe it, and where's the connection? Tell me 10 things that connect that. Where is his connection to anybody who would want Kennedy dead? But the conspiracy dreamers keep coming up with fantasies of who killed Kennedy. Here, I believe, is evidence that the mob killed Kennedy, and they killed it because they were double-crossed. They were going to jail by the hundreds. Amen. Amen. And on that note, Renegade Nation. Excellent. Yeah, it was, uh, Bill, excellent. A whole different perspective of all of this nonsense that you've been hearing over 50 years and people have written books about it and all this stuff. But when you really look at what was what the reality of what was really going on, they, they, they don't explain. And you can put two and two together. Yes, And Marla. Bill interviewed these people. Bill, how many years of research did this take you to write this book? Well, um, uh, I left, uh, I, uh, I mean, what I'm talking about here, most of it, uh, I, would, I would piece together, oh, that's, uh, and, uh, that's interesting. And then when I saw Jack Anderson, like his last show, I said, wow, he is right. I thought it was foolishness that he had, that the mob, that he wrote that the mob was doing it. And uh, he kept coming up with more evidence in the 80s. And before he died, uh, he had it. And so I'm not taking credit that I did this. I'm just telling you what some of the information that he got and I got and that corroborates and, and that kind of thing. That, mm -hmm. that This thing of piece by piece over the years filled it up. And then when Traficante said that uh, uh, Marcelo, he didn't mention his name. But uh, I know that that's who it was because Marcella was talking over in in uh, New Orleans and blurting out, "I gotta get that Kennedy." And, <laughs> there you go. Like that in in uh, a mobster talk in diners and stuff like that. Uh, you know, when somebody somebody says that, that doesn't mean that much. You know, you could say, "I hate him" or something, uh, but. But with Marcelo, it really meant that he wanted to kill him. Bill, I have a question. And Bill, he did. I have a question for you. Didn't there, were, were most of the mobsters back in the day uh, Catholics? Were they Roman Catholic? Yeah, and, uh, and so as was you Kennedy can see in Godfather Three. Uh, 
it's which is not the best one. It's uh, certainly one and two are great. But anyway, uh, uh, the guy goes, and I don't even know his name. He goes to uh, goes to the priest, and uh, he he's giving tons of money, and then he finds he wants to keep giving tons of money because he knows he's going to die, and he wants to get to heaven. He doesn't. He knows he's done an awful lot of hellish stuff, and he thought that he could uh, get the Catholic Church to send him to heaven, and so he. <laughs> millions on the church and then he finds out that the church itself in Rome is is uh, corrupt and terribly corrupt and then he has no place to go at all Wow. But and hell. He I, I, you know what? Says, I, oh, I don't believe the Catholic Church anymore. I got to I I he he doesn't know who to believe. I, I mean, who to help him. He's totally I, I, helpless. So, so can we call up Fidel right now and ask him if uh when was the last time you two talked? No, I'm just kidding. I would, I always thought the Roman Catholic Church um, JFK would not follow their orders and that the Catholic Church with all the money and power that they had, the mobsters were all Catholic and you can, you start bringing in the religion side of it because JFK said, you know, screw you. We're not we're not going to follow. I'm, I'm not following your orders. And because I'm Catholic, I'm the first Catholic president. And that was a big deal, too. So I always thought a lot of these mobsters were Catholic and they wanted to do the right thing for. So they killed the president. So they, yeah, right. So you well, I told you, I told <laughs> yeah. you, Robert Mayhew, and I don't know if I made this uh, explicit. I probably didn't. That Mayhew really argued over joining the mob here to go to Cuba and get rid of Catholic because he he said that this wasn't morally right, that we shouldn't be dealing with a mob, and once we get the mob in here, you'll never get rid of them. They'll be in Washington. <laughs> and uh, he, he, finally, he finally agreed to it. Uh, as a Catholic, he said, I can see where, where hundreds and hundreds of people's lives would be saved if we got rid of Castro. And so he said, okay, I'm on the way to kill Castro. But it never happened. Well, on that note, Renegade Nation, this is a two-hour two and 15-minute show. It is quite very interesting. And I'm thinking about the word you used earlier, Marla. Riveting? Riveting. That's it. Thank you, Marla, for being here. My my human, ta- my human tape recorder. Riveting. That wasn't it's, a tape recorder. That came out of my own okay. brain. We're going to end this. Bill, again, thank you much. Riveting. Fascinating. At, at Renegade Nation, if you want to get the book, Thrilling. you go to uh, Amazon, type in Smooth Criminal, and you can type in Bill Dean, Smooth Criminal, One Man. You don't even have to. It's a, it's a Smooth Criminal, One, uh, one Man American. Well, I just way. typed it in. But, but yeah. all you have to do is go to Amazon Books and say Smooth Criminal Bill. And, and Bill, speaking of Bill, I understand that uh, someone has bought the rights to make a movie out of your book. Uh, yes, they have the rights, and uh, we're about to, I'm told, we're about to look for the lead. Ooh! Uh, I, Can I be I in the movie? stand back because these guys <laughs> throw things out so, uh, just on a whim. I had, I had a, uh, a guy that I worked for, a very, very creative guy in Miami, had written a book with Audrey Hepburn as the lead, and one of the backers didn't like Audrey Hepburn, and they were all ready to go, and this guy with the money says, I don't like her. I don't like her. And that was the end. It all came tumbling down. Mm. So these guys are very sensitive. They're immature in a lot of ways. They don't, uh, they, they want to say no 
and you have to convince them to say yes. And so we are just hoping and praying that this goes through. It is going through right now. They, uh, there is one party, I am told, that is just uh, just uh, enamored with this story because they had never heard of such a thing as uh, letting these criminals out of jail to, to put them in jail, and then uh, and then they they get out of jail and they go and they uh, they're the CIA is allowed to just tell the police, stand back no matter what they do, you know. Like you and I, we rob a bank, we go to jail. They rob a bank and they're excused. Right. Uh, and uh, that was the way. And also they kept Smooth Criminal out because he was such an informant. He had killed uh, so many people and he had, one time he told them, they, they said, we're going to take you back to jail. This was in Miami. And he says, well, you could do that, but you can get a big drug run going up to New York right now. And he looks at us watch he says he'll probably be crossing into the uh, into the south carolina state on the state line he says probably in 25 minutes he says you can probably get there in time and he says it's loaded with heroin in that car <laughs> and he uh, he sacrificed one of his best men well that'll that'll this will be great renegade nation this comes out to be a movie smooth criminal you can check it out on amazon.com but bill you again to, you have to read the book cuz bill's right they they do change the movies they do change the movies so but, read the oh, book. Yeah. but congratulations anyway bill okay, we're going to get out of here bill it was great we i we can't wait to listen to yes. the show ourselves again renegade nation have a great day and thank a great you weekend thank you so much bill thank you so much bill we are out of here we'll end it with sinatra well, why not i have to i have to expose it and that's uh, part of what a good journalist will do and i'm i'm really disappointed with our with our uh, journalism in this country because I told a number of uh, people that, that purported to be investigative journalists and I said I'm still working at CBS and I don't have time to do this and they would say what a fantastic story but no I don't want to touch it it's too hot yeah but it's too and, hot I mean right. if you're an investigative journalist damn it you gotta be you gotta handle something that's hot and these guys walk around and say, I'm an investigative journalist, and here comes a story that I'm handing to them. I say, I got a, a box full of, uh, a file box full of information and documentation. And they say, uh, it's a great story, but somebody else ought to do it. <laughs> well, we just did. We just did. On that note, Renegade Nation, pass this show around. Let people hear what Bill has to, really has to say about it. Smooth criminal. Bill, it, always a pleasure. Have a great weekend. We are out of we'll here with Sinatra. On we'll Monday. talk to you on Monday. Hello. Has learned its lesson. You'd be hers if only she would call. In the
In the wee small hours of the morning That's the time you miss her most 